Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to Wharton Fintech's Platinum Sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. The Stevens Center is a premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armaso. Our guest today is Christine Cannon, partner at Ignian, an early to late stage venture capital firm that invests in innovating solutions for the emerging middle class in Latin America. Christine joined Ignia in 2011 and has been investing and working with entrepreneurs in strategic planning, critical problem solving, and operational issues. We discuss her background, her investing approach, the evolution of the fintech ecosystem in the region, and the important efforts she leads to continue improving diversity and inclusion within the private capital industry in Latin America. Christine graduated from Duke University and has an MBA from Harvard Business School. And now please join me in a fascinating chat with Christine Kinnan. Christine, thank you for joining us on the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Extremely excited to have you uh, join us all the way from Mexico City. Can we start by hearing a bit about your background and a little bit of how you got to your current role? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me here. It's really exciting to see all the work that you're doing with the podcast, and I'm very happy to contribute in any way I can. So I am uh, currently sitting in Mexico City. I am a Chilanga gringa as I've been called before, originally from Palo Alto, California, from Silicon Valley. But I have been living here, working here, investing in Mexico actively since 2006. So it's my home now. I would say I never would have imagined a career in venture capital. I would have never imagined my life in Latin America and supporting Latin American entrepreneurs. But I can say that growing up in Silicon Valley, I was very early on intrigued by what could happen through technology, through innovation and change. And I think I've always gone off the, you know, for the unbeaten path and gone looking for new adventures in life, which led me from a consulting career after graduating from Duke University, led me to Mexico City for the first time when I discovered all of the incredible pain points that the emerging middle class was suffering and going through working closely through the Guggenheim Foundation. When I first came to Mexico, that led me to get an MBA at Harvard Business School, where I met the founder of Ignia, Michael Chu. And I think those first years in Mexico were so formative because I first of all realized that I had no idea how to run a business. And second of all, realized that I was mostly driven by having impact. And so I looked to how I could run uh, for-profit social enterprises to sort of the early stage of my career. I then was very fortunate to be able to join Google during a period of time in their career where they were growing like crazy through explosive growth. I first worked in the Mountain View office and then I helped open up their operations in France. And I got to learn from this company in its hyper growth stage. And I wanted to do more of that. And I also wanted to do more of that in a region where they had not yet been penetrated or did not yet have the access to technology. That led me to return to Mexico City, where I worked in operations for five years with an education company called EF, Education First, 
which is an incredible experience to really learn how to sell, how to hire people, how to create cultures. I really sort of cut my teeth on the day-to-day operations within Mexico in particular, but working at the same time with a very innovative company that was focused on education. And I could feel the impact. It was very tangible how we would change lives of every student that interacted with this company. And then after EF, when I was looking to start my own company is when I discovered again, Ignea. And really the power of the change that could happen through smart capital. I discovered Ignea by talking again with the co-founders, Alvaro Rodriguez and Michael Chu, whom I had met at Harvard. And they convinced me to come to the other side and really realize that as an investor, I could help entrepreneurs scale at a much greater level. And I think when I found really what I love the most, which was helping bridge the gap between the capital that exists so much easier to access in the United States and other regions of the world, but connecting that capital with the great ideas, the incredible entrepreneurs, and the incredible needs of the market that we have today in Latin America. So that's a long story of how I ended up here. And I've been investing with Ignea uh, really for the last nine years. Fascinating. And in fact, it's not the first time that Michael Chu's name uh, comes up in the podcast. He really seems to have had an impact on a lot of fintech leaders. Yeah. Without a doubt, Michael is one of the most incredible people in this world. And someone from whom, you know, when I first met him at Harvard, I could never have imagined that I'd one day be able to work with him side by side. But not only is he a great visionary, but he is this calming force of wisdom and has been an incredible leader without a doubt in this industry. And I've actually listened to some of your past talks, and I know that you speak perfect Spanish with a little <laughs> bit of a Mexican accent. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> when did you learn Spanish? Did you learn on the ground or, or did you speak Spanish prior to moving to Mexico? Well, you know, I always had Spanish in my life because my mother is Cuban. She's Cuban-American and she's this amazing woman who she actually taught Spanish literature at Stanford. And so I had it close to me, but I had to learn the hard way, really, which was in school. And I don't think I really started speaking Spanish until I met my now husband. You know, we were sort of forced to speak on an everyday basis. And it has been incredibly instrumental because also when I was working in EF, I worked with teams of people who didn't speak English. And so again, it's just, you have to jump in, make all the mistakes without fear. And now I just, you know, I very much, I, I'm very mixed in everything. You know, my three kids speak to me in English, but they speak to their father in Spanish and sort of the same way with the entrepreneurs. I love it. Ultimate citizen of the world and, you know, learning by uh, experimentation. That's the only way. Great. So tell us a little bit more about Ignea. I mean, it's uh, definitely one of the leaders in the region, right? Tell us a little bit about the focus and your approach to investing in the region. Yeah, so Ignea was the first venture capital fund based in Mexico. The first fund was an impact investing fund. And we had the benefit of some really incredible LPs that helped us form the funds, our processes, and allowed us to also, I think, help build the whole ecosystem. Because when Ignea was founded, it was the same time that the first iPhone was coming out into the market. So it was very different types of businesses that we were looking at and very different types of entrepreneurs. We had a lot of lessons learned from this first fund, one of which is that we didn't have any funds with whom we could co-invest. So the companies that we invested in were very starved of capital. So that fund was started in 2008. 
And then we raised our second fund that was a vintage 2016 fund with continuing to focus on investing in businesses that were serving the emerging middle class. And I think that is really important. Our investment thesis has not changed at all because we support the entrepreneurs that are providing goods and services, bringing through technology, really attacking these major pain points and solving problems across the region where we see enormous opportunities and markets. What has changed is that we have, between our first fund and our second fund, we have simply taken off the impact thesis, sort of like the way that we describe or market what we do. Because I think a lot of people thought that we were impact-focused only, when actually it is in order to create impact, we have to build sustainable companies that have exceptional returns. And in order to draw more capital to the region and create new industries, we continue to have to help these companies and these entrepreneurs be wildly successful also with their returns. So our second fund we raised through Mexican pension funds primarily, which I think was an important step in the industry because it's a very relevant source of capital to help build out the local ecosystem. And the role that IGNIA plays today is that we are the fund and the investors that entrepreneurs seek out when they are either entering the region, so entering Mexico or Latin America, they could be international companies based in New York, in Israel, or Silicon Valley. And when they become or they realize that the Latin American market is key to them, that is when we will come into their cap tables because we can provide that local knowledge, that local support and help and know-how and access in the region. So that's very important that we also have a local capital supporting us. We will also support companies that are local in Latin America, perhaps in Argentina or Brazil or Colombia or Mexico that are expanding internationally. And that's when it's also very important for us to have access to a lot of our peers and other venture funds throughout the world to help them get access to that follow-on capital. So again, we continue to invest in companies that are serving the emerging middle class. We primarily invest in Series A, that is sort of our sweet spot, but that's a different definition in Latin America as it is you know, in Silicon Valley. But we'll write checks from $500,000 from one to $3 million initial checks and go up to $10 million. And if you ask us about the sector, I would say about half of what we've invested in are fintech companies, but we are really sector agnostic. So that means that we're investing in edtech, a lot of digital commerce, the SaaS companies as well, and really we're open throughout the region. So you mentioned Series A having different definitions across re- different regions, right? It's also a moving definition and an evolving definition in Latin yeah. America, right? Uh, over the last decade, the typical Latin American Series A has definitely grown. And you've had a front row seat to really witnessing this. How has the ecosystem and particularly probably fintech ecosystem evolved from your point of view? Well, one, I think that we're just seeing even more impressive entrepreneurs coming at these problems with technology-enabled solutions. And so that's very exciting. I think, you know, if you look years back when the ecosystem was getting started, we would find entrepreneurs that were so limited by the access to capital that they had. And so their vision for the companies remained small, right? They would say, we're going to be the greatest in Mexico. It's like, no, why are you limiting yourself just to Mexico? You're going to be the greatest across the region, right? And so I think that is something that is very exciting to see that we're also seeing a lot of the entrepreneurs that perhaps were originally from Latin America, but they went and worked in other great companies, other great technology companies, 
or abroad, and then they're coming back to really bring their solutions because they see the problems here. We also see a lot of foreign entrepreneurs that are coming to the region because they see the opportunity of the market. I think I see that every day. That is something more common in, in the region. Another major change is that we're finally getting a lot more access to capital, some international VC funds, but also growth capital. It continues to be, I think, the weakest link in the capital chain. But you know, we're seeing some big players coming in, able to write bigger checks. And so that is very encouraging because, again, as a primarily Series A fund, there's only so far we can go in supporting these companies. So we also welcome co-investing. And that is something that we try and do with all of our investments so that we just have deeper pockets to support the companies that we love. Christine, something that I like that you mentioned is that you focus on bringing some of those resources from maybe a market like the U.S., into Latin America. That's a topic that is definitely personal for me, bringing access to resources, not just capital, right? Into emerging markets. Has that evolved? Is that getting better? Are you seeing more US-based resources get interested in the region? And maybe, you know, how has that been affected by COVID? Yeah, so you bring up a number of topics. I would say, yes, we're seeing more resources that are willing to co-invest in the region. So I think, again, that for follow-on rounds, we see some VC funds that perhaps were a little bit more cautious. Now they're able to get up the confidence to invest in these great companies and really support their growth here. I also see that we're now witnessing a consolidation in the number of the industries and companies where you're seeing these international players that are looking to purchase a lot of these companies that have been venture-backed, which is something we did not see before. I think as an impact of COVID, that is absolutely something we're seeing. Perhaps some of the smaller players that had not yet taken off, they're engaging in those conversations. And so M&A activity is beginning to pick up. I think that is also something that is very good. I do think that because of COVID, it's going to be sort of a culling effect. It's going to be a sort of a cleaning it out of the best and brightest because not only capital is going to become extremely scarce, it already has been. We've seen a 50% drop of capital invested through VCs just in the last quarter alone in Latin America. But I think really the exceptional companies will never have a problem finding the best capital. So they will continue to do well. But a lot of the other smaller companies that perhaps had not yet found their traction will not survive this. So I think that's definitely something. The same thing will happen with VC funds. Right? I think that there was an explosion of small funds that were coming out of Mexico and other regions, and a number of first-time funds that are now trying to raise their second funds. And I don't think everyone's going to survive that process. And so I think it's going to be an interesting time of consolidation. You know, there's something else I want to mention. You asked about the importing of resources from abroad into the region. I think one of the aspects I've been most excited about is to see the interest of great talent and people, not just entrepreneurs, but also investors and board members and sort of senior entrepreneurs and investors that are willing to spend their time and invest their time in the region coaching entrepreneurs, which is something that is incredibly valuable. And just sort of that support amongst entrepreneurs that is now trickling down to Latin America as well, is going to make a huge difference. Fascinating. That can be even more valuable than capital oftentimes, right? Absolutely. And so 
Do you think the sourcing process is a little bit different for LATAM VC as compared to European or US VC? You know, I think sourcing, it's such an interesting question because one is about a volume of deals that come knocking on your door. I don't think that is necessarily very different, but I think it's about finding the quality deals and those are still going to come from your network. You know, I could say that the in Ignea, some of the companies we're most excited about came through us where we were the only VC fund that was called to join that deal. Or in particular, there is a story of Israeli company, Rapid, that we're invested in, where their latest round was invested in by General Catalyst and Stripe, two great investors that certainly didn't need our money, but that we were given a share of that round because of our local expertise, right? And that was a case where they were specifically asking Ignea to join the company, which I think is different from other ways of sourcing, perhaps. So I am very happy to talk with all entrepreneurs. And I think that's something that we don't see enough is the entrepreneurs should simply just send an email, reach out on LinkedIn. You know, there's so many ways to get in touch with me. And we're very happy to talk with entrepreneurs, especially because the sourcing is the first step. What is really the hardest step is building the trust with that entrepreneur. So that relationship between the investor and the entrepreneur is so critical. And so the introduction is just the first step of a very long path to getting to the point where we're comfortable to really be partners with that entrepreneur throughout the rest of their journey. Christine, switching gears a little bit to talk about fintech specifically, Mm -hmm. are there any particular trends, regional trends that you are most excited about? Trends in maybe the digital economy or, or some aspects that you're seeing in fintech really pick up these days? Well, I think in fintech, it is an area that we are heavily invested in. I think we feel the pain points and the opportunities are clearly still there. Although I feel for our next fund, we will probably have less investments in the fintech space, simply because I think a lot of the major players, like sort of the bets have already been laid for perhaps some of the more obvious spaces. And so we will certainly be doubling down, tripling down and supporting those companies. And I do find that there are still those so many parts of fintech services that are not yet addressed, perhaps dealing with cross-border payments, also serving really the SME that has been so poorly served for so many years across Latin America. So I think that will continue to be an interesting trend. What I do find uh, that is just essential for all investments is the fact that they will all be riding the wave of digital commerce. You know, the fact that Latin America is the third largest region of internet penetration across the world with 450 million internet users or connected users with just 90 million of those alone sitting in Mexico. This is just such an obvious channel to reach this consumer. All the big tech companies already know this. Spotify has Mexico as their number one market. Uber, Mexico is their second largest market. Facebook, their fifth largest market. You know, Netflix has Mexico as their second largest market. So this is not a secret. This is just a matter of these startups that are actually able to understand the consumer needs, how to get to provide the best user experience, and how to be agile. And that is where they have such an enormous advantage over the large established financial service organizations and banks that exist because they can't move quickly. They also can't attract the talent. 
right? And I think the best talent, everything from engineering talent to marketing and across the board, those people are driven by the challenge of creating amazing companies that can really disrupt an industry. And so they'll join the startups first. I think a lot of people have been sort of waiting to see the change in access to the digital economy across the region. And it took a lot longer for Latin America to get to the point where they are today. And not just because of COVID has this region leapfrogged into connectivity and digital commerce, but also because the fact that now Latin America is one of the lowest costs of connectivity globally. The Mexican consumer spends more than eight and a half hours per day connected. You know, that's way above the global average of six hours a day. And so everyone has a smartphone in her hand. And this is something that is finally accessible. You know, not to mention the fact that logistics have been incredibly improved, payments, fraud issues, and these are all being addressed specifically by fintechs that are coming in with better technological solutions to make the whole e-commerce, digital commerce process much better. Fascinating. Christine, I wanted to talk about some investor statistics that you recently shared on LinkedIn. And that's the fact that female investors in Mexico and and Latin America are significantly underrepresented. If I'm not mistaken, you you mentioned that women represent only 1% of senior investment roles in private equity funds and around 6% in VC funds. Uh, But you also had a message of hope for this. It's not all doom and gloom. I mean, what is being done to propel some of this change? And and how has your experience been over your last decade there as an investor? Well, I think it's an issue that is important to discuss or bring to light because it is one of the greatest risks that exists in this industry. The fact that there are not more women making investment decisions and shaping the future. This is something that by nature, it is a challenge because venture investing, investing as a whole, especially through private equity funds, is very new to the region, first of all. And it's a very small industry. So by definition, it is is a hard industry to break into. That said, I think there are a number of cultural barriers that exist in Latin America. The fact that you know, half of the graduates are women coming out of the top schools, the top engineering schools, studying finance and whatnot. Yet, you know, 10 years down the road, only 10% continue to be working in the workforce. So what happens is that the pipeline of talent for women that turn out to be phenomenal investors, they're just very few in number. And so the reason why I think it's important to talk about the statistics is, first of all, just to recognize how things are today so that we can all collectively agree to work to change that. You know, the fact that as an industry as a whole in private equity, yes, 1% of the decision makers in private equity funds in Latin America are women. And the fact that you have more than, I think it's 75% of the funds across Mexico don't have any women on their investment teams. And those are basically limiting the returns and the effectiveness that these funds can have. Because there are countless number of studies that show that diverse decisions and diverse opinions making those decisions create higher returns. You know, there is a study 
recently done talking about the fact that if you just increase by 10% the level of females participating in investment decisions in funds, they can increase the fund's overall returns by 1.5% and generate 10% more profitable exits. Gender-balanced leadership teams on startups have an average of 25% higher valuations. I mean, these are real numbers. So it seems that it's just an enormously missed opportunity when funds don't try and support diverse opinions or diverse individuals on their investment teams. And it's, I would say it's certainly not constructive to look at who's to blame or why this is. What really, I think the message of hope here is that when we surveyed and asked the different funds across all asset class in Mexico, how they felt about this, almost 100% of them said that they're committed to change. They're at the nascent stage of this process. You know, I think 71% of the funds did not yet have any gender or diversity or inclusion metrics or goals within their fund. And they're committed to do that today. So, you know, how are we making change? I think everyone can play a part in this role uh, through different networks from the Mexican Association of Private Capital, AMEXCAP, also through a group that helped start called Mujeres Invertiendo. We have a network of 150 investment professionals across Mexico who are all women. And through these groups, they're working to create the networks of female investors to help bring up more junior investors, to help mentor them and provide them with the training and the skills they need. So I think that's very important. Also, this industry to be successful is all about one's own access to deals, one's access to other investors. And so through these networks, we're helping to make that access become a lot more accessible for women and try and just support each other in in this field. The second thing that we're doing is actually trying to get women in this field to be more visible so that we can encourage and try and, you know, show younger women who are interested in investing in finance and entrepreneurship that this is a great place to have a career. I could not imagine a more incredible job to have. And I think in my personal experience that it's been a huge advantage to be a woman in this industry. So I can only hope that we can encourage more women to pursue this field. And then finally, we're actually measuring the statistics. You know, I think it's so important to be able to see where we are today. And then let's work to make that change, right? And just be very positive about it and be very encouraging. And without a doubt, this is just the beginning of the role of women in this industry. Hopefully some of those future investors, our female investors are listening to this podcast and then can actually, you know, get involved and reach out. How can they get involved with some of these initiatives that you've mentioned? Well, some of it is very public. So, for example, the group I mentioned, Mujeres Invertiendo, that is, there's a website, you can go there and you can just write directly. And then from there, we will take care of trying to support those women. It's not only helping them find jobs, but also mentors throughout the industry. I can't tell you how many funds reach out to me and they say they want to hire female investment professional at all levels, and they simply cannot find them. I think in our own investment team, when we send out a role for a new hire, I would say about 5% of the curriculums we get are from women. So we would love, we would love to meet them. There's also a group across Latin America called We Invest. that is an incredible network of female investors that spans the region. 
And there is another access. And so I think women in every country in Latin America can get in touch with a female VC through those two networks. And what about on the other side? How are you encouraging your portfolio companies to be conscious and look at the gender gap? Well, so, so two ways to do that. One is before they become portfolio companies, and it's simply asking the questions, you know, through the diligence process, looking at the makeup of the team, asking them how this is relevant or how they hire, and looking at the culture and understanding the culture of those companies. So I think when we ask, the entrepreneurs suddenly will maybe pay attention to that. Now, when we actually invest, then it's because it's a partnership and because oftentimes we're on the board, then we can work together to really establish the best policies for this company growing forward. We have uh, published a source. It's called Ignia Unlocked. I highly suggest people to check it out, igniaunlocked.mx, where we have just sort of open sourced and shared all of our best practices for entrepreneurs. Everything from how to raise money, how to pitch funds, how to deal with corporate governance, how to deal with the due diligence process. And there is a particular section based on diversity and inclusion where we share some of the best practices globally for entrepreneurs. Outstanding. Outstanding. I'll, uh, I'll make sure to include links to all those things. Well, Christine, this has been fascinating. You are really doing some interesting work. You're definitely an agent of change, and then we're glad that you, you joined us on the podcast. Before we go, I do want to ask you about some of your personal hobbies. And it's a, a topic that we always like to ask to all of our guests, perhaps to hear how you spend some of your time outside of Ignea. Yeah, so first of all, this is a 24-7 job. And I think that goes to show how much I love what I do because I really obsess about the companies that I work with. I'm constantly thinking about my entrepreneurs and what they're personally dealing with. So it's something that, that I take with me all day. Now, besides that, all my free time is with my kids. I have three amazing kids that they're into everything right now, into sports and just sort of helping them get through homeschool. And so that is the most important focus of all my extra free time. Now, in my very few moments of free time, I would say with hobbies, it has to do everything outside. So hiking anywhere in the mountains, love mountain biking, skiing is by far our favorite family activity. And my whole life, I've been a runner. And that has been my major form of therapy, my major discipline and moment to myself. So I think it's super important to maintain those moments for each individual throughout the day. So despite my family and my entrepreneur's needs, always finding a moment to really just take care of myself and get outside is what I love to do. Well, Christine, thank you again for joining us. I know that you are an HBS alum, but now <laughs> you know you can call Wharton. Don't hold that against me. Uh, I you're, you're a friend of Wharton now. You're welcome on campus anytime. Thank you. I love Wharton. My brother went to Wharton and we've invested in some phenomenal Wharton entrepreneurs as well. Amazing. So please, all the MBAs come talk with us when they're ready to build their business in Latin America. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you, Christine. Have a wonderful rest of the week and hope to keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our fintech community, 
please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.